That was Father John Misty, former member of the Fleet Foxes. And this week, we're going to take a little break from exploring the emotional experience of evangelicalism to release this special episode on this very fine 4th of July, a short little story about how Father John Misty and the soldier who killed Osama bin Laden had a slim connection through a band called Demon Hunter. Then we're going to have a replay of an old-school Prophetic Imagination Station episode called The Price of Freedom. Welcome to the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. My name is Crispin Mayfield, and I'm a therapist. I'm D.L. Mayfield, a writer and neighbor. And together we discuss evangelical artifacts from the 80s and 90s. This is Season 6, and we're calling it Shame Core Records. At some point as a teenager, I got this VHS of music videos from Tooth & Nail, and I liked most of it, but there was this one band called Training for Utopia, and they were just too much for me. I think it was the combination of the metalcore and the visuals. In true 90s fashion, it was distorted lo-fi visuals of the band, and then there was fire and a guy wearing a creepy mask in a basement-type room like they were going to be tortured or something, and then shots of the shirtless guy with a caterpillar projected onto him. It seriously felt demonic to me. And I'd fast forward through it every time. Now that band, Training for Utopia, has gone down in tooth and nail lore as one of the best metalcore bands ever. And they only released two albums before disbanding in 2000. But two of the founding members were brothers, Don and Ryan Clark, and that was just the beginning of their career. In 2000, they began a design studio in Seattle called Asterix Studios, beginning a graphic design career that would create art for fellow tooth and nail bands like Under Oath, Slick Shoes, 238, The Supertones, The Chariot, Joy Electric, Zayo, Me Without You, but also some bigger names like Will I Am, Alice in Chains, and even Kanye. They even did things like design a kid's picture book about The Incredibles for Disney. But they also did something else in 2000. They started another band, and that band was called Demon Hunter. Initially, members of Demon Hunter shrouded their identities from the public, but soon enough, fans found out that Demon Hunter was created by the Clark Brothers. It's hard to explain what this meant to a lot of us. Training for Utopia was like this experimental, really cool, chaotic band. And then Demon Hunter was new metal. Up, 
in the hardcore scene, new metal was not cool. A lot of people actually thought it was a joke, that the Clark brothers couldn't be doing this seriously. But they kept going. It became clear that Demon Hunter was here to stay. And they've released 11 albums, most recently March 2021 this year. I don't really know how to explain the nuance of genres here, but at least in my generation of seeing kids, Demon Hunter was cheesy, tacky, and commercial. But that's just my snobby scene kid coming back to haunt me 20 years later. And that part really is neither here nor there in terms of the story. Good evening. Tonight, I can report to the American people and to the world that the United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden, the leader of Al-Qaeda, and a terrorist who's responsible for the murder of thousands of innocent men, women, and children. So in 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed by the U.S. military. Two years later, in 2013, Esquire published a story about the soldier who claims to have killed bin Laden. At the time, he went by the shooter to protect himself and his family, but later revealed that his name is Robert O'Neill. He told Esquire that his team, SEAL Team 6, wore the Demon Hunter emblem on their uniforms. The Demon Hunter emblem is a demon skull with a bullet hole in one side. And here's a story according to Robert O'Neill. This is a quote from the Esquire article. When we first started the war in Iraq, we were using Metallica music to soften people up before we interrogated them. Metallica got wind of this and they said, hey, please don't use our music because we don't want to promote violence. We stopped using their music and then a band called Demon Hunter got in touch and said, we're all about promoting what you do. They sent us CDs and patches. I wore my Demon Hunter patch on every mission. I wore it when I blasted Bin Laden. So after the article came out, Demon Hunter had a different story. They said they never reached out to the military. In a press release, they said, we have no specific knowledge of our music being used for this, nor have we ever volunteered it to be used as such, nor are we commenting on it beyond that. The debate about enhanced interrogation techniques is for politicians, military intelligence, pundits, and others of the like to have. But they did say we are honored, humbled, and blessed that Demon Hunter was of any support or comfort to SEAL Team 6 or anyone in the U.S. military at any time. In the letter, they also said that they wrote a song in 2005 called The Soldier Song to show their support of the troops. I'd always thought this song was about spiritual warfare, which is one way that Christian rock and rap has been able to use violent lyrics typical to their genres without raising eyebrows. Anyone remember the old school T-Bone song talking about hitting demons over the head with crowbars until they're, quote, swimming in a pool of red? And yes, yes, he did just say if he sees a Ouija board, he's going to kick it. I was trying to decide whether to talk about that song or another song of his called Demon Executor, where he talks about putting demons in an electric chair. Throw your hands way up in the air. That's the sound of the electric chair. 
that's the sound of demons screaming for the knife And I'm the demon executor hitting switch tonight If I could go back in time and talk to the Apostle Paul, there's a lot of things I'd tell him to do differently. I'd be like, dude, do you know how people are going to read this in the future? And one thing I'd talk to him about is the military imagery part. Because now, in a society where Christians hold the power, it just makes those lines too easy to blur. Are we talking about spirituality, or are we talking about real warfare? Let me play you a bit of Demon Hunter's track, The Soldier Song, that I had assumed was not about flesh and blood enemies, but against rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places, to use Paul's words. But this song was written primarily for soldiers in the Middle East. It goes, Through the clouds of fallen ash, a lonely mother's cry. Among the fields of broken glass, the loyal few will arise. In case you didn't catch the lyrics to the melodic chorus, it goes... These tears we spill, they haunt us still. The cries of the weak lie quiet in sleep beneath our feet. Is that part about the cries of people that have been killed by U.S. soldiers? Let me say that part again. The cries of the weak lie quiet in sleep beneath our feet. Another part says, We are the sons of holy wrath, a shining light in the dark. The ones who walk amongst despair, no sign of fear in our hearts. So they're saying U.S. troops are the sons of holy wrath and lights in the darkness. They even have a commentary on the current conflict in this song. They say, armed with resistance and blind to the cost, they say your purpose is mindless and lost. But we don't adhere to the slander they spill. We mourn your losses and stand by your will. In other words, critics of war who say they are blind to the cost are slandering soldiers, but Demon Hunter stands with them. There's also a line in here about the youth that are verbally degrading them. It seems to be a knock at a younger generation who has, to use a phrase from Adventures in Odyssey, bad attitudes about America's militarism. Why was it so easy for Demon Hunter to make the shift from hunting demons to hunting people? It reminds me of when we interviewed Brad Jerzak for our season on Frank Peretti's novel, This Present Darkness, when we talked a lot about demons and spiritual warfare. Coming from a history of exorcism-type ministries, he said that he's found that violence, whether in the physical or spiritual realm, is always at odds with the way of Jesus. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of this world. So what Peretti did was he said our our weapons are not through physical force, they're through spiritual force. What I'm saying is the weapons of the world are force. And that's not how Jesus came and overcame everything. He came through surrender to the will of his father and self-emptying love. So that even applying force into the spiritual realms is still, you're still in the, you still got the wrong kingdom in my mind then. Yeah. Something that I think is just, we just want to throw it out. We don't want to think about like, yeah, God, there is the, the Holy Spirit does have power, but the power is substantively different. 
it's cruciform. It's right. the power of love. And that means like not a love, love doesn't force itself on people. What, powerful love is simply speaking of, it doesn't give up. It's unfailing love. It's, it's mercy that endures forever. And it's forgiveness. It's just uh, radical, even to the point of death. That's the power in it. Um, and, and there's, there's nothing in this about like, you know, what, what does Paul say? Uh, overcome evil with good. So like, how do you overcome human enemies? It's like you feed them. You make hospitals for them. You you love bomb them with water treatment plants, and you know, um, and that might sound naive, but I'll tell you what's really naive: <laughs> uh, thinking that trillions of dollars of weapons is going to defeat hatred. <laughs> like that's just that's so ludicrous and naive and utterly dangerous, and we haven't even really tried the Jesus way yet. And that's why I believe, you know, in the end, I believe that, that God's going to, uh, um, I believe in ultimate redemption. Uh, I think he's going to restore all things. I believe in that. But I also believe that this idea of the way of, of self-giving love, radical forgiveness, co-suffering, loving your enemy, um, that that's the narrow way Jesus was talking about. And very few people find it. Very few Christians are interested in it. We might get the right name, but have we if we don't believe Jesus about that stuff? We believe yeah. in him by saying a magic prayer. But, may, but do we believe him in the sense of pick up your cro- lay down your sword and pick up your cross? Lay down your hatred and pick up forgiveness and follow me. And if you don't follow me, you'll blow the you know, things to smithereens. And so we have. No matter whether we're approaching demons or people, the way that we seek to wield power and force is important. So where does Father John Misty fit in all of this? Just a very minor part. As I was researching all of this, I found out an odd little tidbit. Guess who was the drummer of Demon Hunter for the first two years? Yep, that's Joshua Tillman, back before you as Father John Misty, and before he was in Fleet Foxes. We all have our weird evangelical background things that we've contributed to. I don't know if he regrets it, you'd have to ask him. Okay, we're sort of finished with the episode. I thought it'd be fun to add in a replay of an old episode from, I think, four years ago. We did on an Adventures in Odyssey episode called The Price of Freedom. So, we're going to review The Price of Freedom, which was first aired in 1988. And basically, it's about Kirk McGinty, and um, it starts out with him in a classroom, and he is um, thinking about the Vietnam War. He had turned in a report, and then his teacher stops him and says, you know, it's a great report, except everything that you wrote in it was wrong. And Kirk had really idealized the Vietnam War, 
And so his teacher says, basically, um, there were a lot of, I want to say human rights violations, but basically he's like... <laughs> he didn't say that. <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> he was like, uh, there are a lot of people, innocent people that were killed by our soldiers in Vietnam. And, and we shouldn't have been there in the first place. Right, yeah. The fact is that we really shouldn't have been over there at all. A lot of innocent people were killed just because the U.S. stuck its nose in where it didn't have any business. And so we shouldn't he- have stuck our nose... Right. In their business. Yes. And so he goes home and reads about it um, and reads about people being convicted of killing 22 innocent citizens. And at some point, it becomes apparent that his dad fought in the Vietnam War. And so he'd really idealized his dad. And so um, he's really sad. And uh, he always loved to play war uh, with his friends. But they come to him, and he's like, I don't really feel like playing. And he talks to Mr. Whitaker about it. Mr. Whitaker ends up going and talking to the teacher and explaining that Kirk's dad was killed in Vietnam. Did you know that Kirk's father died in Vietnam, Mr. Altman? Um, And Mr. Whitaker. And they have this moment. Oh, and also there's, like, a big Memorial Day picnic being planned, and Kirk's, like, Boy Scout troop is planning on doing a Civil War reenactment. Is it, is it Civil War or is it Vietnam War? No, they War? were going to do a Civil War reenactment. Oh, okay. And there's going to be this big unveiling of this Veterans Memorial. Um, and so after Mr. Whitaker and the teacher had this moment, then we are at the picnic, and there's this final scene where Kirk's mom reads this letter from Kirk's dad. Oh, we also miss, like, Kirk had, like, a dream about his dad that was really poignant, which we will talk about in a moment. And so, basically, it kind of ends with, I don't know, how does it end? Well, basically, like, um, his mom shares this letter from his dad, and that's very meaningful. And so, um, Kirk feels better after that. And also, Mr. Whitaker and the teacher meet at the memorial because it turns out that the teacher's brother was killed in Vietnam uh-huh. and Mr. Whitaker's son was killed in Vietnam. So, all the characters in the story have someone that they lost in the war, which, by the way, is really interesting. Again, this aired in 1988. So, it's like how, you know, this feels like so long ago, but I guess in 1988 there would be teenagers uh, that had parents that had died? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so that's kind of the recap. And if it sounds kind of hard to recap, it's because it is. And, Crispin, first of all, I want to ask you, why did you pick this episode for me to listen to? There are actually several episodes about Vietnam. I chose this one because it's in the like greatest hits collection that we have um, so I was going through and looking. It turns out that it was the most aired episode uh, ever as of February 2017. Oh my gosh, why? Um, so they actually got a lot of positive feedback from veterans. But that's it? That's why they aired so much? Because veterans said they they like it? I guess so. Okay, because like when we were listening, my first thought was like, A, has our daughter, you know, who's six, has she ever listened to this? Because... It was really intense. I almost cried two times. And then by the end of this, like, it's not even, what, 30 minutes episode, I just felt so depressed. Like, so utterly depressed. So it's interesting. I can't imagine being, like, six and listening to this. Right, yeah. And it's it's so weird because there's, like, this... Uh, this intermingling of like kids playing battle or playing war, pretending to be soldiers. 
right alongside these themes of like yeah, human rights violations and murder. On March 29th, 1971, court martial jury convicted Lieutenant William L. Cowley Jr. of the premeditated murder of 22 South Vietnamese people. Ian, this episode definitely seemed aimed at the parents. Is that weird to say? No. Like, I, how could this be for kids? Like, right. the Vietnam War is incredibly complex. Yes. And this episode did not... I mean, they sort of address it, which is surprising in a way. But then... Now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's worse than doing nothing at all. I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's talk yeah. about let's talk about the views of the war that are presented in this episode. Right. Well, I think one of the things that first stands out is so the teacher says, you know, there were a lot of people um that were that were harmed by US soldiers, that were killed by US soldiers that shouldn't have been. Like innocent women and children. Do you think the soldiers who fought in Vietnam were killers, Mr. Altman? I think some of them were, Kirk. Yes. Have a nice weekend, Mr. Altman. Yeah. And um, and then Mr. Whitaker basically says, like, we shouldn't talk about that, right? Like, you shouldn't talk about this. By talking about this, you're ruining this kid's vision of his father. Yeah, that was, like, his main argument. You go on doing what you think you have to do, but let me tell you something. You're doing it at the risk of destroying a 12-year-old boy's image of his father. And that's a terrible, awful thing to do. You kind of missed this, but the teacher gave Kirk a book. Kind of right. like what really happened in Vietnam, <clears throat> which is interesting. It made me think about the whole alternative facts thing right. I mean, that's going on now. <laughs> he literally says, like, you got the facts all wrong. Yeah. And so I was like, uh-oh, are we setting up this false dichotomy? But, um, yeah, so... Mr. Whitaker, I was like, that is such a weird argument. Like, this teacher shouldn't tell this kid about the complexity of Vietnam because it's going to ruin this kid's, like, dream of his dad. And actually, Mr. Whitaker in this whole episode is extremely troubling. And y'all know that I am not a huge Mr. Whitaker fan. And I don't get why we're supposed to love him because all he does is basically, first of all, he's totally meddlesome. He's not Kirk's parent, and he goes and confronts his teacher. And I also love that the teacher's like, actually, I don't have to prove myself to you. Like, you're not even this kid's relative. But Mr. Whitaker's like, it's all about honor and duty, and it's so important. And I'm like, Mr. Whitaker doesn't even talk about God at all in this episode. But he talks about patriotism. He talks about honor and duty. Mr. Altman, here in Odyssey, we still take words like honor and duty and heroism very seriously. They still have a meaning here. The Vietnam War, like, had to have been just. And then at the very end, when you find out his son was killed, I just felt really depressed. Like, oh, Mr. Whitaker, like, can't even critique this war at all or else his son's death would have been in vain, which is something he can't even begin to go there. So, of course, he's going to be obsessed with America and patriotism and celebrating a very unjust war. And it's just so depressing. I'm not sure a little kid would get that, however. Right, yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the teacher shares that his brother was killed. Gunned down during one of our raids into Cambodia. And so basically he's like very upset. He was an artist. Such a waste. And Mr. Whitaker said because of his opinion, he was dishonoring his brother's memory. Which is just, I don't know, I mean, it's a, it is a really complex episode. And it really brings these issues to a head. How do you, like, hold 
a view on something like the Vietnam War was not a great war for us to be involved in. And at the same time, like recognizing that people did risk their lives for something that they believed in or felt uh, coerced into or felt like. There's another episode where it's actually about Witt's son and a friend, and the friend decides to run to Canada, and Witt's son decides to go. So basically there's this kind of sense of, like, I have to go or I'm going to be breaking the law. Yeah, okay. This is all getting, like, super intense. And, you know, it's interesting because we are pacifists, but I also recognize the fact that we've never been in our country when there's been a draft or been anything like a war similar to Vietnam, you know, in our lifetime. And my dad was like a little bit too young to go to Vietnam, I think, and probably your dad too. But I just think I still wish that this episode would have been a little bit more about um, Jesus and how he views the killing of others rather than just talking about um, patriotism and our duty and honor. Because, okay, let's first of all, let's talk about, so Kurt has this dream about his dad because he's reading this book about all the horrible things that happened in Vietnam. And then he has like this sort of nightmare where his dad becomes the one who has killed like 22 innocent Vietnamese women and children. Captain Steve McGinty. My dad was Captain Steve McGinty. Captain Captain Steve McGinty has been found guilty of murdering 22 innocent Vietnamese people. No, he didn't do it. A lot of innocent people died. Innocent people were killed. My dad didn't do it. He was a soldier. He was a murderer. No! Kirk? Dad? Dad! Kirk. My son, Kirk. And... But then also sort of morphs into like he then meets his dad in a dream. His dad's like, my son, which FYI totally made me think of Hamilton. Did you? No. Okay, because remember when Hamilton's like, my son. Yeah. Um, Anyways, which also then made me think like, (laughs) why am I okay with the war in Hamilton? But I'm not okay with the war in Odyssey. So maybe I'm just like totally a double standard person. Are you okay with the war in Hamilton? Actually, I'm not. But we always listen to it and I'm not like super troubled by it. Even though I should be like, Hamilton totally killed people, right? right. Yeah. But right. also, I don't think Hamilton is saying he's like a Christian, focused on the family, right. you know, example. Like Mr. Yeah. Whitaker is supposed to be, right? Yeah, Mr. Whitaker is a spiritual leader and basically says, if you don't believe in militarism, then you are not a good person. Right. And so it's part of the whole spiritual leader thing that's really bothering me. Hamilton obviously has a lot of issues, so <laughs> right. we don't view not- him as a, you know— a Christ follower uh, in a way. So anyways, so that's really poignant. Kurt never met his dad. And then he asks his mom to, to remind him, like, tell me the last time you saw dad. And then his mom says something about, like, why they moved to Odyssey. Do you remember that, Christmas? She was like, I knew that this day would come, but we moved to Odyssey to get away from the bad attitudes about the Vietnam War. The bad attitudes about the Vietnam War. That stuck out to me so much. Not like... The facts of what happened in Vietnam and the atrocities that, you know, happened to women and children, just the bad attitudes about Vietnam. And they moved to Odyssey. So Odyssey, which is this supposedly Christian haven, is a place where there's no bad attitudes about Vietnam allowed, evidently, until this one teacher shows up. Right. I mean, bad attitudes. It has such a, like, parental 
feel to it, right? Like these like young idealists or I don't know. Or you're not allowed to be critical of war. Right. Well, I mean, just at the beginning. So it starts out, Chris does her usual introduction. She usually kind of does a little character introduction um, about, you know, Robin uh, loves to like pet her cat on the weekdays or whatever. Everybody has their hobbies. Right. Yeah. So she starts out and says, everyone has their hobbies. And uh, Kirk's hobby is war. Kirk McGinty has a really unusual hobby. War. He's fascinated with battles and strategy and conquest and, of course, victory. I mean, literally just that's says so that. so weird. And I'm like, shouldn't there, like, that's just so problematic. Like, I, I have respect for, like, just war theory, but for that to be a hobby or an obsession, I think just, like, flies in the face of, like, Christian... Like following Jesus, right? Okay, but I want to go back to like the mom says this whole thing. Like we moved here to get away from these bad attitudes about Vietnam, but at the very end, when they're unveiling the memorial, and Kurt doesn't want to like he doesn't want anything to do with the memorial anymore because he's like ashamed of his dad's involvement in the Vietnam War. Now, well, his mom then reads a letter from the dad where he basically says like you've probably heard you know both good and bad things about our involvement here, and they're both true. And he said, like, there are some things. What does he say? I know that when all this is done, a lot of bad things will be said about what we were doing over here. Some of those things, I'm sorry to say, are true. That happens in war sometimes. But basically, something like, there are things that happened there that aren't bad, but... And there's no way to justify them, but like it's still a good thing that they were there. So, anyways, Kurt's mom, she obviously had read this letter before, but she still was trying to get away from the bad attitudes of Vietnam, even though her own husband had written a letter saying it was very complex and that war crimes and atrocities had been perpetuated by Americans. So, I think that's what really confused me. Is if she, if her own husband written a letter saying, yes, there's things that happen here that we should not be proud of, then why would she not want to be anywhere around people who were critical of this war? I think it goes back to what you said about, like, you have to make meaning out of someone's death. And so there's so much, like, so many defense mechanisms going on here, right? Well, that's the other thing. I almost felt like, according to this episode, you can't have an opinion about the Vietnam War unless somebody you know died in the Vietnam War. Right. And that's the only way your opinion is legitimized. Because Mr. Whitaker doesn't listen to the teacher at all until the teacher says, well, my brother died. And he's like, oh, okay, well then, fine. That's fine that you're anti the war then. Not to mention the teacher comes to the Memorial Day celebration. So the idea there is that Mr. Whitaker taught him something. And I think it basically says, like, in order to honor the memory of his brother, he had to change his views on the war. Now, this is a good talking point for this part is, how do you feel about war memorials? It is really complicated, but I think that we should, we shouldn't just forget Um, But I think as Christians, we need to be like a prophetic voice and be able, I mean, also we live in a democratic society where we should be able to voice dissent against the war that we're engaged in, while at the same time realizing some people go into the military because of their convictions. Some people do it to escape poverty. Like, Mm -hmm. they're just, it's so complex. There's so many reasons that people go to war and die. And so I would never want to uh, dismiss the dignity of a soldier that had died. I would also never want to give up my ability to speak critically about political actions that 
you know, also killed other people on the other side of the world. Well, and Christians have a rich tradition of being pacifists and not engaging in killing of other people based on Jesus' own example. Like Jesus' example is the opposite of killing others to ensure safety and security, right? Yeah, just like Donna Cedra says in A Mission for Jimmy. They want wars and revolutions. We teach love, change hearts with Jesus Christ. We always talk about his sacrificial transformational love as evidence on the cross. And, you know, I, I really uphold to that. But one thing I did want to say is, you know, I had the opportunity to meet Brian Stevenson of the Equal Justice Initiative this last December. And he shared with um, a group I was with that, you know, after September 11th, it took less than, what, a decade in order to get a memorial put up for the victims of, um, you know, the terrible tragedy that happened on September 11th. But in America, to this day, we still do not have a monument to the victims of slavery or of lynching anywhere in our country. But think about how many memorials we have to people who um, served and fought and died in a war like Vietnam. And yet there's absolutely no memorials to testify to the war that has been waged against black bodies, you know, for centuries in our own country. I'm like, I can't imagine Odyssey putting up that kind of memorial. And yet it's perfectly fine to put up a memorial for Vietnam in the midst of this completely Christianized town. And I think that just... I don't know. I think that's what made me want to cry at the end of this episode is like, what kinds of death do we honor and what kinds of death do we absolutely dismiss as white evangelical Christians? And I just feel really sad, Crispin. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask what points you felt like you were going to cry. That was one well, of Well, there's that. And then I think even Kurt, like meeting his dad in a dream, like, yeah, we are anti-war, but we are pro-soldier in that we are pro the people who are at the front lines. And a lot of them are young. A lot of them maybe felt like they had no other options. And, you know, really, they're just playing into, I think, larger governments, you know, plans. And and they're I see them as the victims themselves, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. I think death is really sad, no matter which way you look at it. And so for me... I even think like a memorial to people who died in Vietnam isn't necessarily bad, but I would always be looking for the memorial of those who were killed, like the civilians who were killed, the Vietnamese women, men and children who were also killed. Like if that memorial's not there, then it's just nationalism, right. which maybe we should just be quite clear here and say like, I don't think you can be a nationalist and be a Christian. Right. There's just no way yeah. you can be. So... What is Odyssey upholding in this episode? It seems more like it's about nationalism. Mm -hmm. You always pick out these really complex episodes, which maybe in my memory, I think of these adventures and Odyssey episodes as being very simplistic, but they're not. No. They're not. I mean, and I still don't agree with the overall message, but they do allow some complexity in there, which I think is good. Yeah. In a way. Um, but at the very end, it's so funny because this is a very kind of sad, depressing episode. It ends with like Mr. Whitaker and the teacher like going off to get ice cream because they both lost loved ones in the war. And then Chris, cheerful little Chris, gets on at the end of the episode and is like, You know, sometimes it's difficult to know which side is right in a war, especially one like Vietnam. 
it's not like in Old Testament times when God told his leaders who and when they should fight. But one thing we can be sure of, whether it's in wartime or peacetime, is that God is always in control and always working his good and perfect will. And that made me feel really depressed. Mm-hmm. Really depressed. Because right. I think that is a message we're told our whole lives. Like, yeah, everything's kind of terrible, but God's in control. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, what was it, like two years ago now, we were watching the movie Selma. And um, there, there comes a moment in the film where a young black man is shot and, and killed unjustly. And... What does Dr. King say? He says, you know, God was the first one to weep for your grandson. And I just I just can't get over that. God is the first to cry. That is so different from God's in control. You don't have to worry about anything. I'm like, I understand that God is sovereign. That doesn't mean that every single thing that happens on earth is just. Or and again, this all kind of comes back to your theology of the kingdom of God, right? Doesn't God want the earth to be like it is in heaven? He does, right? That's what Jesus says yeah. over and over and over again. So I don't think we're just supposed to sit back and accept the fact that, yes, war is complicated, and yes, innocent people die and blah, 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 blah. But in the long run, God's in control, so don't worry about it. To me, that seems like such an invitation to disengage from critical thinking. And it almost seems sinister. I don't know. Maybe I'm mm-hmm. making too much of that. I'm wondering, how do you— uh, critique ideologies while um, showing people respect and love, right? So here, like, how could the teacher have done it differently? Not necessarily that he did it wrongly, but it just Yeah, such I think a, it was fine. I mean, Mr. Whitaker's yeah. whole thing was like, did you know that his dad died in the Vietnam War? And I'm, like, thinking about my daughter's school. I'm like, in her classroom, there could very well be a kid from Vietnam, right? Like, mm-hmm. would Mr. Whitaker think about that child, you know, whose parent might have been killed by American soldiers in Vietnam. Like, yes, you need to think through all perspectives, like, and who's in the room. But that doesn't mean you don't tell somebody the truth just because you want to keep that kid's vision of their father intact. I don't know. I think it just comes back to, like, when Paul talks about, you know, our our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Mm -hmm. But it's against the principalities and the powers, um, and so there are these systems and structures, and I think it can be so easy to want to attack people and want to humiliate people, to tell people that they're wrong. And even like on my Facebook feed lately, I've seen people say things like white nationalists deserve to get punched in the face. And that's just really upsetting to me because I think as Christians, like we are called to critique and dismantle systems, right? Mm-hmm. And uphold, again, like the, the Imago Day and other people, even if they're white supremacists. Um, and Do I you think, think Mr. Whitaker is a white supremacist? Uh, <laughs> I think he is. Are you playing I, your... <laughs> I think he is trapped by white supremacy, and he doesn't mm-hmm. know it. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could just go to Odyssey and just sit him down for a chat. Yeah. What would you tell him? i tell him a lot of things. Crispin, when are you going to pick an episode that is not intense for me to listen to? But hey, if you're listening to this and you have suggestions of episodes you want us to talk about, please send them our way. At propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. We got an email address, guys. Yeah. I haven't received any email since we started. I think everybody hates this podcast. It's fun. (laughs) 
<laughs> we enjoy it. We do enjoy it. We hope you guys enjoy it too. Um, thanks for joining us. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station. Check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes and stay tuned for weekly discussions.